This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Amen. So if you will, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. I just want to go over our foundational scripture. And again, like I said, Pastor's been speaking on this for... I don't know how long now, but months and months on how to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we're, like I said again, we're going to be talking about how to press towards that mark through discouragement. So again, Philippians chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 13, and it reads, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many be as perfect, be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. And you know, there's something I just want to mention, because Pastor has covered this scripture a lot, but I do want to uh, just go over something in verse 14 when it says, I press. I, I, you know, I took my time to go through press to, just to see what that means and see what God wants to reveal to me about pressing. And after looking that up, you know, some of the, the basic definitions of it is something that you follow after. Something that you pursue with all your might. And, and Paul says here, you know, I don't count it as if I apprehend it. That means I'm still pursuing. And I want you to know what he's pursuing here. The thing that we must follow after, the thing that we must pursue with all our might, is the grace of God which leads to life everlasting. That's what we must pursue. We must pursue his grace which leads to life everlasting. So when you hear me say those things today, pursuing his grace which leads to life, I want you to understand that means you need to press. You need to give it all you have. You need to give all your might and pursue the grace that he has made available for you so that you can stay on the pathway of life, the pathway of righteousness. Okay, so the question is, after hearing that definition, you know, to follow after, to pursue with all my might, you know, the grace of God which leads me to life everlasting, the question is, can you pursue God's grace with all your might even if you're discouraged? Even if you're being discouraged? Is there a possibility? Can you pursue his grace in discouragement? And I'll tell you the objective of my teaching before we, before we take off in this. The, the objective of this teaching is to find out, am I discouraged? And how do I press through or pursue his grace and overcome discouragement so that I remain on the purpose of God? I'll say that again. The objective of this teaching is to find out, am I discouraged? And how do I press through or pursue his grace and overcome discouragement so that I remain on the purpose of God. So that's twofold, and I'm going to tell you there's going to be a bunch of points in between that lead to those, but those are the main objectives of this teaching today. And uh, I do want to let you know, I'm, I'm going to take a cue from Pastor, because I've, I've been in a place of discouragement before, so I'm going to take a cue from Pastor throughout this teaching, and I'm going to share some of my experiences with you, and I'm going to share how God has brought me out of those things. So we definitely will do that, and we're also going to go to the, the scriptures, of course, because it's, it's in his truth where we find the answers, uh, and it's in, it's in his truth where I found the answer. So we will be covering those things. Now, as I, before we get there, as I said before, I want to tell you the difference between disappointments and discouragement. And this is going to put things in their place. So disappointment. And Pastor talked about this too, but I just want to reiterate some things to you. Because again, Pastor did teach on these things. So a disappointment is an unpleased emotional response 
to unfulfilled or unmet expectations. You know, unfulfilled goals, dreams, desires, wants. If, if, if those things aren't fulfilled, that's, that's when you become disappointed. So again, disappointment is an unpleased emotional response to unfulfilled or unmet expectations. Now, so what, what is discouragement? So when you think of discouragement, here's what I want you to think of going forward. Discouragement is a loss of confidence. It's a loss of courage. It's to be disappointed to the point that I begin to faint. It's to be disappointed to the point that I begin to want to give up. That I begin to want to give in. Okay, let me say that again. It's a loss of confidence. It's a loss of courage. It's to be disappointed to the point that I begin to faint. It's to be disappointed to the point that I desire to give up and to give in. See other see people write. I'll say that one more time. I see you writing. Discouragement is a loss of confidence. It's a loss of courage. It's to be disappointed to the point that I begin to faint. To be disappointed to the point that I desire to give up and give in. And after you write that down, if you will, let's turn. We're going to start off just with a quick, a quick scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I, I do want to show one thing that, and, and it's the same, right? It's the same between disappointments and discouragement, right? These things are going to come to us all as believers. So I want to start off here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm just going to read three verses, verse 8 through 11. And this is Paul speaking here to the church of Corinth, and it says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. So he's already saying, we, want, we don't want you to be ignorant of the disappointments that come to us in Asia. They, they were already, they had been disappointments. That we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we even despaired life. You know what? I'm just going to stop right there. Has anybody ever been pressed to the point where you, even, you begin to even despair life? You begin to think, what's the use? You begin to think, you know, I, I keep, I keep, I'm trying my best, I'm trying my hardest, and it seems like I'm not making any progress. That's how Paul was feeling here. And I want you to recall to, to remember, so I said he was disappointed first. I want you to recall to remember what Pastor said about disappointments. Disappointments are inevitable. They're going to come to us all. They're unavoidable. They're inescapable. You are not going to live this life on this side of the flood and not be disappointed. Disappointments come to us all. They affect us all at one time or another. And, and what happens is, when, you, when those disappointments come, and you don't handle them, or you push them aside, or you just you keep getting disappointment after another disappointment, and you let them build up, what happens is it brings you to a point where you start to, to dwell solely on those disappointments, and you get down to a place of discouragement. You begin to think, like I said, you be, I, I keep trying, I, I might as well give up. Because what if we say discourage is, it's, it's the desire to give in, to give up. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't want you to think, if I've been discouraged, that means I've been, I, I'm in sin. Not necessarily. That's the thing, right? Because the thing about discouragement is, everybody goes to that place, but not everybody stays there. 
You don't have to stay in that place because it's when you stay in that place of discouragement that you start responding out of that discouragement. And then when you start responding out of discouragement, that's when sin enters the door. So, no, it's not necessarily a sin to feel discouraged. But when you start responding out of that discouragement, that's when sin comes in and things start getting all out of order. All out of whack. And, and again, that's why I said, that's why, what I'm saying is, discouragement should only be a, a momentary place that you are. It shouldn't be somewhere where you dwell. It shouldn't be somewhere where you let the sun go down on that. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it go down on your discouragement either. Deal with it right then and there. Or, and that goes for your disappointments. Because you can prevent discouragement from coming if you handle your disappointments. But there are occasions where one disappointment is big enough that it takes you to that place of discouragement. So that's what I'm saying. You don't want to dwell on those disappointments. You've got to handle that discouragement. So the first place that I want us to get to is a place of realization. If we're discouraged, we want to know why we're discouraged. So we can figure out how to overcome our, our discouragement in the circumstance. And, and, and I, want, I want to tell you, you know, we don't have to be beholden to the circumstance. Because the answer is one thing. But I want you to realize, am I discouraged? Because we can begin to trick ourselves. We can put on that fake front and facade and pretend like everything's all good with God and everything's good with our life spiritually. But we want to come to a place of realization. That's why God's word is going to confront you. And you're going to have to deal with it. So I begin to think, you know, what type of things can discourage us? What type of things can dis disappoint us so much to the point that we get discouraged? And I begin to think, you may, be, you, know, you may be married to somebody you can't please, and they can't please you. You're disappointed in the decisions that they've made in life. Uh, they may be uh, 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 spiritually or emotionally or even physically abusive to you. And you feel like, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this. And those disappointments in your married life, they happen over and over again. And all of a sudden you get to a place where you're discouraged. And you're living out of a position of discouragement. And yeah, you may come to church. Like I said, you can fake and, and, and put on the front all you want and come to church and sing your praises and raise your hands and say you do this, this, and that. But the discouragement is set in. Look, maybe it's a friend or a family member who's disappointed you. Maybe they said they were going to do a certain thing and they did not do it. Maybe, listen, maybe they feel God morally. Maybe they've got, feel God spiritually. And you're like, I keep dealing with them on the same thing over and over. And you become discouraged. It feels like you're beating your, you, like I said, like you just, all your efforts are wasted. And you become discouraged. Maybe you feel it's because God hasn't answered your prayer. That's a big one in the church. You feel like God hasn't answered. Listen, you may have prayed and worked for something. And it didn't happen. As far as you could tell, it may have even been for the glory of God. And it didn't happen. Listen, you may have even claimed a, a promise from the Bible over it. And it didn't happen. So what happens? You start to get discouraged. And now, not only are you getting discouraged, you begin to think, God is not true. He promised this to me. And I prayed this. See, see that, remember I said discouragement, you begin to lose your confidence. In who? In God. That's what happens. You begin questioning and soul searching. Struggling with, with being disappointed with what we think is God's lack of response to us. You heard what I said that what we think is God's lack of response to us. You begin to wonder, should I ever do anything for the Lord? He has, he's not answering my prayers. And like I said, you don't address those feelings, then doubt and fear come in and you lose your confidence. And you're in a place of discouragement. 
And then the next situation comes up, and guess what? Doubt and fear is still there. And then you know what they tell you? Why pray? Why pray in this situation? Remember what happened last time? Remember, you claim this or that promise. Why even pray? Why even go at it? And then now you have that resolved, why didn't he answer me? Unresolved, sorry. Why didn't he answer me? And here's the thing about, you know, with God dealing with that, that those questions, you know, why, why didn't he answer me? Or why did, why did God allow this? It's really tough. It's never easy. Because the, the thing about God is we serve a perfect and holy God. That means when you're dealing with those questions, I have to deal with me. That's what makes it so hard. Especially if you believe, I'm doing everything right. I prayed about it. I, I, I'm convinced that many believers, you know, they, they procrastinate dealing with their disappointments and dealing, dealing with their doubts that they have of God. And they go out, like I said before, and they put on that showing. Everything's all good. A facade. Listen, it may be because, you may be discouraged because you've allowed some habit of sin to come into your life. And, listen, where God has loosed those chains, you saw that habit of sin and you picked them back up and put them back on. And you keep telling yourself, why do I keep returning to that same old thing? Do you get discouraged? You begin to lose confidence and you say stuff like, well, this is just how life is. This is how I am. This is what I, you know, this I can't get away from. That's, that's just the way it is. You lose, and guess what you're losing confidence in? You're losing confidence in God's grace. His grace is giving you the ability to stand against sin. But when you begin to lose confidence, you say things like, I can't do it. Uh, that's not attainable. That's not real life. Because you've lost confidence. Listen, it may be because you have relentless financial pressure in your life. That's a big one, especially for young men. You know, and not just young men, young women too, but it may be because you've made bad decisions in life. Or, or the person you're with has made bad decisions financially, and now you're at a place where you're like, I can't, we can't seem to get out of this place. We, listen, we're living paycheck to paycheck. The things that we desire and want to do for us and our family, we can't reach. And then, not only that, but you might start getting hear critical things from family members, which, which, which also brings you, especially if it's financial issues, that brings you to a place of discouragement. And you think, well, they don't even care. They don't know what I'm going through. And they tell it, and they, they start criticizing. You need to do this, this, and that. Why are you still here? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you listening? And you come to a place of discouragement. Sometimes you can feel like no one loves me. That's a place of discouragement. No one wants me. No one wants to date me. No one wants to marry me. No one cares about what I want. No one cares about my desires. Then you get to a place of discouragement. And here's the funny thing about discouragement. It's contagious. You think nobody wants me. You're in a place of discouragement. And you go around people and guess what? You end up driving them away. Discouraging them from being around your discouragement. Listen, there, there may be an ongoing health issue with you, with somebody in your family. Uh, the doctors have said this, this, and that. They can't do this. They can't do that. And the person going through it may be discouraged. And, and it may be the person in their family here. And, you know, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. And you get discouraged. Listen, maybe somebody in your family or somebody close to you has passed away. And that's one of those disappointments where all it takes is one. 
and you can get to a place of discouragement. But I'm here to tell you, our God knows how to deal with the worst news. He knows how to keep you in perfect peace and bring you through your discouragement. But you've got to trust Him. I want, you, I want you to be encouraged that He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. He cares for you. I, that, that's why that song ministered to me so much. Listen, he, he, put the, he knows the names of the stars. He put the hairs on your very head. He cares. He does. He knows how to, to get you up out of that, that low place, the, the muck and miry clay of, of discouragement. He knows how to lift you up. He knows how to encourage you. But again, unresolved disappointments. And those are just a few. And I hope you know, that, that encapsulated you or, or got you to think, you know what, maybe I have been discouraged. Or maybe I'm in a place now and I need to deal with it. Because again, dwelling on these, these disappointments and leaving them unresolved, it'll get you to respond sinfully. If you focus on what you don't have or what you think you should have, you, you'll start to see the Lord is unfair. Especially if you believe that I'm living, I'm living like I should be. You start to think the Lord is unfair. And then you start to lash out. When you, when you think things are unfair, guess what happens? You get mad. You get angry. And then you start to lash out at people around you. Not only that, you start to lash, you start to lash out at God. I'm going to tell you, losing confidence in God is lashing out at him. Which means I'm not going to abide by his ways. I'm not going to listen to what he says. I may put on the front neck like I am. I may know the scriptures inside and out. But I, I've lost my confidence. I'm in a place of discouragement. So we cannot linger there. And, and, and what I want you to never you, you never, you can never forget that you have an adversary. And that's, listen, that's the place exactly where he wants the believer. He wants the believer in a place of doubt. He wants the believer in a place of disbelief. Because when you get to that place, guess what happens? You're paralyzed. You're frozen. You're not doing anything for the will of God. You have no confidence in it. That's what he wants the believer to get to. He, Listen, when he paralyzes you, you're at a place where, you know, we know what we ought to believe. But that discouragement, it drew a line in the sand. And said, you better not cross it. And, that, and because you've been discouraged, you, you have no confidence to cross it. It's like, I dare you. But have you forgotten about the God who's brought you back from where you've been? See, that's one of the things. Uh, let me, I, I didn't finish reading this here in 1 Corinthians. Because what was Paul's answer uh, in 2 Corinthians? I'm sorry. Paul's answer there says, I'm going to start at verse 8 again. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. I want you to know what he's talking about. He's talking about dying to himself. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, not to trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead. See, hadn't they already been raised from the... Haven't they been made new... Haven't you been made a new creature in Christ? Aren't the old things passed away? Isn't sin and death a thing of the past? See, these are the things you have to remember. God has these things for me. You know, and, and if I'm walking according to his purpose, you know, no matter what happens, whether it be good, evil, or indifferent, he's going to work it out for me. See, that's, that's, what your faith, and that's, what, that's what your faith and your trust in God has to develop in you. But when that discouragement comes in, you know, I... Uh, 
the faith of our heart, is, it starts to lack the courage. It starts to lose confidence in the expected end that God has told us about. Remember that foundational scripture. You've got to forget what lies behind. You've got to press towards the mark. Trust that he gives power to the faint. He renews their strength for those that wait and trust in him. So we have to remember that God's comfort is available when we submit our disappointments to him and set our hope completely on him. It's when we set our, our hope on these unmet expectations when we begin to lose confidence. But our hope has to be in Christ. We can't lose the sight. We can't forget what we're reaching out for. Because those desires and stuff that you wanted, you wanted those before Christ. But Christ has something different. You can't forget those things. Or you allow yourself. You will lose confidence. You'll lose the courage. And then you'll even desire to want to give up. You desire to want to give in. Now, I want us to turn to Ezra chapter 3. And I want to tell you, when we learn to submit our disappointments to, to God, He will happily show you the sources of, our, of your discouragement. I found sometimes, like I said, I, I placed my hope in the wrong people, in the wrong things. And we have to remember our hope is placed in Him. Now sometimes, discouragement happens, and guess what? It's of no fault of your own. Like I said, you can have, you can have a death in the family, and you become discouraged. And that's through no fault of your own. But that doesn't mean you can quit. Because if you believe what the Lord has done, and he's done that for your family, but guess what? You're going to see them again as well. But, yeah, I hope we're in Ezra 3, because we're going to look at what the Bible says about discouragement. <clears throat> and before we start reading this, I want to give you a few signs that discouragement might be settling in. And then we'll identify them through these scriptures. But I'm going to give you a few signs. So one of the first signs that you're going to see from discouragement is fatigue. You're going to see tiredness. You're going to be weakened physically, mentally, spiritually. And when I say when I say weakened, things come along with that, right? When you're tired and stuff, you know what comes along with that? Complaining, negative proclamations. You know, nothing positive is coming out of your mouth. Negative stuff comes starts coming out of your mouth. Complaining about the work that you have in front of you. That's that's called fatigue setting in spiritually, mentally. Physically, that all comes with it. Uh, you, what else comes with that fatigue is you begin to pre- procrastinate. You, you begin to put things on hold and handling things. Why? Because you're tired. See, it's, it's all working hand in hand. One of the signs you will see is fatigue. And we're going to prove this out in the scriptures. You're going to see it's fatigue. Another one is you're going to have frustration. Everything you do is going to be frustrated. You're going to say it's too much for me to do. Like I said earlier, I can't see the progress. I feel like I'm going in circles. Seems like it always seems like I'm starting over. And again, that causes you to get angry, and you'll start responding out of anger. So again, frustration. That's the second one. Another sign is fear. You're intimidated. That's when doubt set in. You're, like I said with, with Paul, you're troubled. You get they 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 intimidate you. It discourages you or intimidates you to 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 think. You know what? I can't do this. God's God's word may not be true. So if I do this, I'm at risk. 
So now fear has gripped you and paralyzed you. I can't move that way that God has said to move. And then once you give way to those signs, that's when all the other stuff creeps in. That's when, you, like I said, you see the anger. Uh, that's when lust can, 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 can sneak in. That's when, you, like I was saying earlier, you say, well, this is just the way I am. So I'm going to do what I do. I'm fine with doing this. It's just the way I, God will forgive me. Maybe. That's when all those other stars start, start to think in. And then when we lose our confidence in God, the enemy is able to hit us with them same old tools of shame, condemnation. The same old things that he used before we were saved. You know why? Because you've lost that confidence. So it freezes you. You stop altogether. You begin to accept failure in your life when God has given you the victory. Failure, failure just in stand on the path of righteousness that he's laid out for you. The enemy, I'm telling you, he's gonna ta- he'll take those feelings of regret, the unworthy feelings. He'll take those feelings of self-condemnation or of weakness, and he'll, he'll keep you paralyzed. You know why? Because he's going to keep you off the purpose of God. That's all he wants. He'll take those feelings and keep you off the purpose of God. So are we in Ezra? Let me make sure I'm there. Okay, yes. Ezra chapter 3. And we're actually going to be reading through 3, and three, 4, and 5. We're not going to read all the verses in there. But let me give you a background so that I don't have to read all of Ezra chapter 3. What's going on here is that the people of Israel, they have been released from captivity. What had happened was, you know, when Solomon was king, they had built, uh, built the temple to the Lord. And then Solomon had begun to, to worship other gods and get away from the will of God. And uh, when they were under the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, they, well, the, the Solomon city, they tried to rise up against them, the kingdom of Babylon. Because, they, because Solomon's kingdom was out of the will of God, they, they, they got their whole city and their, their temple destroyed. All right? So the kingdom of Babylon had destroyed their, their city and destroyed their temple and to God. And now we're at a place where uh, the, the king of uh, Persia is now releasing the Israelites. They've lived in captivity for a while now. And he's releasing them. They've lived according to the rules and the, the uprising stuff. That's the thing of the past. He's releasing them. And King Cyrus, uh, King Cyrus, uh, the, the king of Persia, told him, he gave them a command. And not only they gave him a command, because it, it came from God originally, but he gave them a command. Go back and build your temple too. Go back to the place where God had brought you and build your temple. So here's where we are. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, and that, that's why I, I didn't mention that as well. At this point, they had went back, and they had laid the foundation of the temple. Okay, so the foundation, they are back, they are released from captivity, and now it's time to build again the house of the Lord. Alright, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of, king da- of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord for his, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief, chief of the fathers who were ancient men had, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before the eyes, wept with a loud voice. 
So many shouted aloud for joy. Do you see where they are right now? I, I want you to understand where they are. Every, listen, they had laid the foundation of the temple. And I want you to understand this. Thousands of people, they were there worshiping and crying out before the Lord. Singing, He is good. He's allowed us to, we've been released from captivity. He's allowed us to rebuild the temple. He is a good God. And then, here it is in verse 13. So that the people could not, I'm sorry, let me read 12 again. But many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before the eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. They were praising God so much that they said people heard it from afar off. They said, listen, they couldn't discern the weeping for joy from the shouting because it was just praise and worship toward our God for what he's done. Now, Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. See, they're at, a, they're at a place right now where they're like, you know what? For what God has done for me, I have to press. I have to do what he told me to do. I have to rebuild the temple. And now, here it is, verse 1. Now, when the children of Judah and Benjamin heard the children of the captivity, builded the temple unto the Lord I'm sorry, let me read that again. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord of God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. Now, now see, I, I want you to understand this. When you get on, listen, when you begin to press, I want you to understand this thing. The advers- Even though God's eyes on you, the adversary is watching you too. They heard it from, a, when he said they heard it from afar off, he's talking about the adversary. The adversary heard it. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, when you begin to press, you know what that means? You know what press means? It means you're going to meet opposition. You have to press against opposition. Cause, and I love it, you know. I love how the word adversary is used here because in your worship, the devil, like I said, the devil sees you. And it's so amazing what happens here. Look at verse 2 says. It says here, then they came, and then they're talking about adversaries. And I want you to understand this. You'll hear throughout these, uh, these chapters, it'll say the, the people of the land. It's referring to the adversaries. The people of the land are referring to the people who said that they believed in God, but they had their own religions. You know, so they, were, they weren't necessarily Persians or Babylonians. They were the people that lived in that land with Israel, and then they latched on to their religion and tried to bring their own religion to be a part of it. So I want you to understand that. Verse 1 again, I'm going to read that again. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. Now, here's the first challenge, if you will. The first the first form of discouragement they try to give to them. The first disappointment they try to bring to them. They said, let us build with you. Now, first off, we saw already, these are their adversaries. These are the people, when I say adversaries, these are the people that go against the will of God in their lives. For us, these are the places, the things, the people that go against the will of God in our lives. The ones that don't want to see you pressing. The ones that don't want to see you succeed. So I want you to understand that, right? People are people, but the devil uses people too. Because ultimately, 
Yeah, they might not, not have wanted to see him press, but ultimately the enemy didn't want to see the house of God been built. They wanted to slow down that work. I can see it. They would, they would probably made that work very uncomfortable for them. See, at this point, they couldn't stop him by force. But the enemy is like, any means necessary. Whatever the cost. He, they couldn't stop him by force because they got the decree from the king, remember? See, God's eye was on him, so God, God had the king, so he gave him the decree, go build your temple again. So they couldn't, the, the people of the land couldn't go against the, the king of Persia and what he told them to do. So they were just as wise and cunning as the serpent in the beginning. They were smooth as butter, but in their heart was war. They're their adversaries. And let's read verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the, ch the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with this, to build the house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build the, build the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So I love that response because here it is, you know, like I said, and this this will speak to new don't last too long. That, listen, they're, they're on fire right now. And they're like, you know what, that ain't going to stop us. You're not going to stop us from building. You're not going to come in and hinder what we're doing. God said, no, it's not going down like that. Okay. I see you fired up right now for the things of God. All right, so verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. That quick. Now, now what did I say, what did I say uh, fatigue was? Being weakened. There's the first sign. Weaken their hands. And it didn't have to describe what was going on. You just think of what weakening their hands means. First off, I can, I can see it. People were there talking bad about them. Oh, that's not going to ever work. I don't know what you're doing there. That's going to that's crumble down. They're in there trying to hinder every little thing that they're doing. Then it said it troubled them. It intimidated them. It brought fear to them. So they're, they're meeting this type of opposition already. They brought fear to them. They wanted, listen, when it said they weakened their hands, let me tell you what that means. That means, at this point, some people got discouraged to the point of giving in. Not everybody, but some people had to give up because it weakened their hands. They didn't have the same strength than when they started with. So now, here's some people who's, the, the people of Israel, their hands are weakened now. The building is already, the, the building of God's temple is already starting to take a hit. Again, like I said, the, the people of the land, you know, the ones that the enemy were using, they were doing whatever they could. Just to draw people off the work. See, they didn't, they didn't want the temple to that guy who they said that they worshipped to to be built again. You know why? That would be conflicting with what they, what they were worshipping. And we heard that afar off. We cannot have that in the land. Verse 5, here's, here's amazing to me. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. There's frustration right there. Now, it says counselors, right? Multiple counselors. I had to start using my mind again, right? Because, again, they were just released from captivity. So that now they're rebuilding their civilization, civilization, guess what? In the Persian Empire. So they have to go to the Persian courts. They have to get grants, loans, all that stuff to make deals for building. Guess what? There was counselors in there. Just to frustrate them. Not that they could stop it. 
Just to frustrate them. I'm pretty sure there were counselors there that act like they, like they were counselors to them. Ah, you shouldn't do that. Ah, oh, I don't think you should build this here. All just trying to frustrate the purpose of God. Anything that came up, I'm telling you, there was probably a counselor in the wings waiting. You think of the, the Persian courts back in the day, you should do some research. They were sitting in the courts all day, playing music, doing what they do, and then whoever came to see the king, came to see the king. And I'm telling you, whoever was there, was there. There were counselors waiting in there, partying with them all day, waiting for Israelites to come in. See, this, see like, that's the thing, let me tell you something. You know, we, we all start off with that fervor and that, that zeal for the Lord. The enemy's patient too. He will, wear, he will frustrate you to the point that you get angry and wear you down. And you become discouraged. Drawn off the work. Make you feel like your work is futile. Do you see how relentless the enemy is? And, and let me tell you something. You better believe this was disappointing. If I was putting in the work trying to build and this stuff was coming at me every day, guess what? I'd be disappointed. I'd be almost to that place where my hands got weakened. And, and in the land of Judah, I mean the Israelites, their hands were weakened already. Now I didn't say they stopped, but their hands were weakened. Now let's read, let's start at verse 6. Oof. And in the reign of Ahas, wait, wait. Let me finish five. I do need to finish that because there's some crucial information there. And hire counsels against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of this king of Persia. Now, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, that's amazing to me because now we're out of King Cyrus's reign. And they knew it now. <laughs> they were like, well... King Cyrus made this decree, but King Ahasuerus, he's also known as Artaxerxes, he doesn't know. So they wasted no time. Now we can send a letter to him. Because now he don't know what's going on. They waste no time. This, here's some more of the opposition. Now let's see what they said. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote, wrote Bishalem, Mithridath, Tibial, y'all bear with me, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rehum, the chancellor of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king in this sort. Then wrote Rehum the Chancellor and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions, the Dinaites, the, the Aspersathites, and Tarpalites, the, that one, and Archivites and Babylonians, the Susanchites, and the Dehabites, and the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapar brought over and set in the cities of Samaria and the rest that are on this side of the river and at such a time. This is a copy of the letter they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king, thy servant, the man on this side of the river and, such at, and at such a time. So let's see what they wrote unto the, the king. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from the 
to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city. So let's start right there. Now, they had already been released from captivity, from being a rebellious and bad city. Right? Already been released. King Cyrus made the decree. Told him, go rebuild your temple. Go back to the city, rebuild the temple unto the Lord your God. Now Cyrus is out of office, and what did they do? They started off with a little color. Hey, this rebellious and bad city's back. And here's the thing about Artaxerxes, and we're going to see it here in a little bit. He didn't know what they meant by rebellious and bad city, so what did he do? He went and consulted the history books, and guess what is in the history books? They rebelled. It was rebellious. See, they, the enemy will use, he'll use truth to get you. To discourage you. To get you to freeze in place. And let's see what it says. Be it known, oh, I'm sorry, here we go. Let me finish 12. And the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Let's stop right there. I want y'all to, and I encourage you to go back and read all through these chapters. The only thing that's been done here is the foundation of the temple's been laid. So the next thing they said was a bold faced lie. They set up the walls and they joined them to the foundations. So now he's lying straight up. Now they're lying straight up. Trying to sway the king. Yeah, let me tell you, there will be lies against you to discourage you. Listen, those, those things that we face, those trials and tribulations we, we face for his sake, we've got to endure them. Because I'm going to tell you, it's funny, and we'll see this, because God always makes a way. And God makes a way for them, but you've got to choose it. You've got to choose. That's the thing about discouragement, right? You've got to choose. Discouragement is a choice. You can choose to, to sit down in that discouragement and dwell on those things, or you can choose to get up and move forward with Christ. So let's see. So, again, they straight up lied to him. They told him, now they built the walls. And we know, we, 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 we heard the teaching. And listen, the wall didn't get, get, get put up to Nehemiah. We know the teachings. So they straight up lied. So let's read here. Verse 13, Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded and the wall set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. Now, do you see, I want you to understand in that verse 13, if you haven't been paying attention, I want you to understand how conniving it is, because in that verse, though, they didn't even reference the temple. They said, if the city's built, if the walls around the city are built, because they know King Cyrus already made a decree, and here's the thing, Persian, king, Persian kings aren't in the, the business of striking down commands of other Persian kings. So they were real conniving on the things and the words that they used to say. The city. That's a bad city. We ain't talking about the temple King Cyrus told them to rebuild. We're talking about the city and the walls around the city. So conniving. And that, I'm telling you, that, that is the hand of the enemy right there. That's the trail of the serpent. So conniving. The little things, because I'm going to tell you, the king noticed that. Because, you know how I noticed that? Because we'll see his response here in a later, in a moment. When he tells them to stop building, he tells them to stop building the city. But they stopped building the temple. But, okay, but let's, let's keep moving. Verse, oh, you're still in 13. Be it known unto, unto the king that in this city be, 
If the city be builded and the wall set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom. And so thou shalt then damage the revenue of the kings. They knew how to hit the king. If, if they won't do this, guess what? The revenue of the kings, not just you, more kings to come. It's going to damage your kingdom if you don't do that. They knew how to talk to the king. See, the, the enemy is playing the game with everybody. He's using them to keep the believer discouraged. Verse 14. Now because we have maintenance from the king's high palace. There's more of their wording, right? Because we respect and honor the king so much. Like they're just the high, they're the people there. That we're, we're the ones that follow your ordinances. We're here to keep you on the throne. That's what they're saying here. Because we have high maintenance from the king's, we have high maintenance from the king's palace. And it was, I'm sorry, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore we have sent and certified the king. So, of course, they're lying about their motivations. They don't care who was there. They didn't want the temple of God to be built. Verse 15. That search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou find in the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city. So what did they tell them? Go look here. It's so amazing to me, right? If, if y'all really thought there was a bad city, why don't y'all bring some people in front of the king with them? Let them give an account. And I'm going to tell you why, because truth would have came out then. <laughs> truth would have came out then. But no, why don't you just go check the record books? Trust your own records. Check the record books and see what they say. That was their advice to the king. And it says, let's see, that this city is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was the city destroyed. We certify the king that if this city be built again, and the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. So there it is again in 16. We certify the king that if the city and the walls around this city are built, they didn't say nothing about the temple. If we, we certify that if this happens, everything's gone. Listen, you'll have no rule on anybody this side of the river. And it's so amazing to me. So verse 17, the king did consult the records concerning Jerusalem, and he found that, indeed, they had been a rebellious city in the past. They did find that. So he agreed, and he ordered the people, he ordered me, he said, you know, go back to them and tell them to stop. Listen, let me find that verse. Let me just read it. Verse 17. Then sent the king an answer unto Rehum the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river, peace at such a, and at such a time. The letter which he sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. And I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll, tribute, and custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded. Did he say anything about the temple? Did he say anything about the foundation of the temple? Did he say anything about the temple walls? He didn't say nothing about the temple. He said that this city be not built until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of the king of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Now, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, they got that word from the king and, and them and they lackeys, they, they ran quickly 
to cease. And it says they ceased by force and power. And then 34, 24 says, then ceased the work of the house of God. Now, here's the thing, you know, they say it ceased by force and power, but my thought process is, so y'all know that King Cyrus made the decree to rebuild the temple. You clearly heard the decree that, that the king said, don't rebuild the city. So why did the people of Israel stop building the temple of God? It was discouragement. See, it said they came and they, they did it by force and power. No doubt they didn't tell them everything that was going on. They just said, the king said, y'all got to stop. They didn't question nothing. They didn't question nothing. They, listen, they didn't remember what God had told them to do. God told them to rebuild this temple. They, listen, they didn't bring up the king Cyrus gave them the decree to. They forgot it all. You know why? When you're discouraged, you have a desire to give up and give in. They were like, that's the last straw. The king then said it, we're done. What did the king say? We don't even need to see it, we're done. Then cease the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And here's the amazing thing in verse 24. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That, if you go back and do your research, that's 16 years. The work of the Lord ceased for 16 years because of discouragement. <laughs> and they, like I said, they could have said, they could have. I don't know for a fact that it would have changed the king's mind if they went and, and, and appeared before him, but I do know that they were lying. I do know that the people of the land were lying against the Israelites. I knew that the Israelites could have came and made a case and said, this is not what's going on. The, he's talking about things from the past, for one. And he could have said, we're going to keep building the temple because he said nothing about the temple and the foundations. And that was for a reason because another king before him decreed it. But no. We've lost our courage. We lost our confidence in the commandment God has given us. We want to give up. We don't want to press. We don't want this opposition any longer. And, and let me tell you something about discouragement. You may not know you're in it. My thoughts, and we're going to see here again, my thoughts are some people were like, you know what? Oh, we're fine. We ain't got to do nothing. We can just live here now. We ain't got to go against the king. We ain't got to go against this opposition. We're good. Let's just live our lives according to the Lord. But the Lord told you to rebuild the temple. But now you're paralyzed. You think you're on the path of righteousness, but you're off the path of life. You're paralyzed, you're frozen, you're discouraged, and you're not moving. I want to encourage you to remember what Pastor said. The will of God is always right in front of you. He gave, listen, he gave him that decree way back when. And if you keep reaching back, you don't see that decree no more from God. He told him to continue. It's right there in front of you. But discouragement, it blinded him. And then let me tell you, when you're discouraged... Just like the people today, the, the Israelites did the same thing. They plunged themselves into the cares of this world. Whatever they think will bring them fulfillment. You know how we do. Entertainment. Traveling. Uh, my job. My career. Plunge myself into those things. 
Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to taking their own life. I want to see, because like I said, the people of Israel are, they're just the same. They're no different from us. That's why we can take the scriptures. We, we, we do the same thing. We allow the, the cares of this world to take us, and we just allow ourselves to get wrapped up to keep our mind off of this discouragement. We start thinking about what we think is important and forget about what's right in front of us, the will of God. So let's read and find out what's been going on during these 16 years. So first things first, though, because we're going to go to another place. Um, let me just read Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. I'll read 24 again, and then verse 1. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Verse 1, 5 and 1. Then the prophets, Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, the God of Israel, even unto them. Now, before we, before we go into that, let's turn to Haggai. I, you know, I just love the scriptures, how they, how they connect up. If you've never read Haggai, it connects right back up to, to Ezra. That Haggai right there is talking about the Haggai, the, the book that we're going to. That Zechariah right there is talking about the Zechariah in the book of the Bible. Please read your scriptures. Connect the knowledge. God has made it available to us. So let's turn to Haggai. And we're going to be able to see the word of the Lord from Haggai to the people of Israel. And we'll also be able to see what the people of Israel have been doing for these 16 years. So I'm going to start, I'm going to read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to start at verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, that's the same year we were just in, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Let's stop right there. So, we said that fatigue already shows you already start complaining. You already start murmuring. Negative, negative, negative proclamations. And here's what he said the people said. It's not time to build the house of God already. Again, listen, I can hear him now. We tried that with King Artaxerxes. It's not time to build that right now. And this is what they've been saying. Listen. They, I want you to understand this. They see the temples unfinished for 16 years. This is where they live. They see it's unfinished for 16 years. And, and you've had the opportunity to, to let's, you know what, let's go talk to the king. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Nothing, nothing's happened. You said not only with your mouth but with your heart, it's not time to, be, it's not time to do what the Lord has told us to do. Well, let's see what time it was for. Verse 2 again, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? <laughs> Remember what happened. They just got sent back over there. They were rebuilding everything, including their own home. So wait a minute, you mean to tell me that their houses got built, but the house of the Lord went undone? They started caring about what they wanted. 
dead his eyes in this place of discouragement and left the house of the Lord unworked on? That word sealed there means, it means these things will go well. Look it up there. It says ornamentally well. And you think that's what God has for you. He brought us out of captivity so we can come in and build what we need, what we want. But you forgot about his will that's been in front of you already. What did he tell them to do? Rebuild his temple. Rebuild the house of God. And what have they been doing? They were building their own houses. Literally. While the house of God lied in waste. just encumbered with the cares of this world, plunging themselves into it. Because guess what? Oh, they were busy building their houses. They plunged themselves into that. I'm pretty sure they forgot about Listen, I'm pretty sure they got to the point where they were like, God is good. I got to build my own house. This is what God wants for me right now. Have, have you forgot what God commanded you? In your discouragement? Left his house unfinished. Put their cares before the will of God. Let's continue reading here. Verse 4 again. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You are so much, and bring in little. You know what he's telling them? You're frustrated. <laughs> I see the signs of your discouragement. You so much, you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in the bag with hose. Your money you make it, you think you prospering, it's leaving as quickly as it's coming. And And listen, they were focused on these things. They were focused on their clothes, their food, their drink, their money, their homes. That's what they were focused on and couldn't even keep it. Because they were out of the will of God. They were discouraged to stay away from what God had called them to do. For all their work that they had done, there was no reward. Let me tell you this. In your efforts, you will not be prosperous. It's futile. It's only in God's efforts where you prosper. And I listen, I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about financially or, or with all these things or in your love life. No, I'm talking seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those other things will be a byproduct. So let's see what happened here, though. Because they're going to have to come out of this discouragement. So let's read, let's keep reading here. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I'm sorry, one second. Okay. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, said the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. You see, that's, 
that, that reminds us of, that reminds me of men today so much. You know, as soon as a little discouragement or a little disappointment or a little pandemic or little whatever happens, we begin to, you know what, I need to get all I can. Can all I get. Sit on the can and watch out for me and mine. And forget about God's will for us. What did he say to do? You ran to your own houses. When faced with opposition. I'm through with the Lord's work. I know. I see all the opposition. I'm through. Let me just build my house and we be good. Verse 10. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from, from her fruit. So here they are in a place of discouragement. And the first thing that happened was the word of the Lord was brought to him. We can go ahead and turn back to, turn back to Ezra chapter 5. So I just wanted you to see what they were doing at this time. And I wanted you to see Haggai. And we're going to go to Zechariah too in a little while as well. But let's go back to Ezra chapter 5. And I'll read it verse 1 again. Because we want to find out what do we need to overcome discouragement. So 5 verse 1, it says, Then the prophets... Actually, you know what? Y'all stay right there. <laughs> I like the way it's written better in Haggai. That's just me. That's a preference. That's not the standard. <laughs> Give me just a second. Let me get back there because I like the way it's written in Haggai. In verse... Let's see. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel... This is after the word of the Lord came from through Haggai. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the, the high priest, with all remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's... In the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. How do, so, so here they are. It just said. They received the word of the Lord from, from Haggai and Zechariah. And now it's saying, you know what? I was stirred. The people were stirred. All the, the governor of Israel, they were stirred. And they began the work of the Lord. So we're back in Ezra chapter 5. So here's the question again. What do we need to overcome discouragement? When we, and here's my answer. And we'll, we'll explore it through these scriptures. The answer is, we need encouragement. And we need to know how to encourage ourselves. In the Lord. <laughs> we need encouragement, which means you'll get a source of encouragement from somewhere else, but we also need to know how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. So number one, to receive encouragement. And some of these I'll say just to receive encouragement. Some of them I'll say to encourage ourselves in the Lord. This one, I'm going to say to receive encouragement and to encourage ourselves in the Lord. On number one is we need a fresh, unstill collision with God's Word. That's why I say you have to get encouraged by someone 
And then you have to encourage yourself. Because you have to hear God's word and receive it. That's the encouragement part of yourself. So to receive encouragement and to encourage ourselves in the Lord, we need a fresh, unstill, head-on collision with God's word. You think about it, like, like every move of God, from, from Abraham to the evangelism of, of, of Acts, it all began with a word from the Lord. Before they started to build here again, they needed a word from the Lord to encourage them. When we're discouraged, the, the, the thing that will refresh us most is to hear God speaking to us in our circumstance. That's why I can't say this enough. You've got to get to church consistently and then come with an expectation from God's word. An expectation that he's going to meet me right where I am. And he's going to change me right where I am. That's allowing the word of God to stir you and get you moving. To, to lift you up out of that place of discouragement. And it's not going to be just anywhere. Remember his, his line of authority. That's, a, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. It's not about hearing something that's just going to make you feel good. Because if it doesn't change you, it's not God's word. God's word is going to change you. It's going to confront you. That's why I said you need a head-on collision with it. It's going to confront you right where you are. You see, Haggai wasn't pulling no punches. Y'all building y'all's houses and leaving the house of the Lord undone? Y'all the ones in your heart that said, now's not the time to build? When God told us way back when. Let me tell you... (laughs) The temple that was built by Solomon, that was of God. And that got brought... Listen, this, is, this has been going on. See, they've gotten to a place of discouragement. Brought back out. Discouragement. Brought back out. That's why I want to encourage you. You stay with God. He can get you out of your discouragement. And listen, it's not a, it's not a once a week thing. It's, it's not a, a once a month thing, a once a year thing. It's not a twice a month thing. It's not a three times a month thing. It's an everyday thing. A consistent, a consistent thing. A consistent hearing of his word. Applying yourself to it. Making sure that you get an understanding. Listen, you'll never get out of discouragement if you never open your Bible. Let's keep it real. You'll never get out of, uh, out of discouragement if you never sit under the preaching of God's word. Let me get clear. You need to sit under the preaching of God's word too. Don't try to preach to yourself. That's why you're in the situation you're in. And I know when you're discouraged, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like getting in my word. But... You think of it like this, right? Let's say you had cancer. And I've heard from a lot of people that have cancer, the treatment is worse than the disease itself. But it's there to help them. See, all correction is, is, listen, it's good, it's profitable for reproof. Listen, all scripture, listen, God's word is to put you on the pathway of life. His scripture is profitable for life. Incline your ear to God's word. And do it. 
Acknowledge him in all your ways. And when you do that, his word will do a number of things. I said this one before and I'm going to say it again. It's going to confront you. Uh, let me say it a better way. You can write this down. God's word will confront your sin. Like I said, that, that's the main premise of the word of the Lord from Haggai. He's there. He's confronting them with their sin. Building their own houses and neglecting God's house. Remember, sin, sin destroys us. Sin damages us and those that are around us. That's why his word is there, to confront your sin. Like I said, ne- neglecting the Bible when you're discouraged is like ne- neglecting your cancer treatments if you're sick. Neglecting going to the doctor. Without that treatment from the Word of God, there is no life. Only, listen, you will stay in that place of loss of confidence and that place of discouragement. What else will God's Word do? God's Word will, will, will confirm His grace if we repent. <laughs> I'm explaining this to you too, and we're going to get into a little bit of Zechariah before I have to finish up for the day. And thank God, and I'm thankful to Pastor. Pastor said I have two Sundays to go over this, so we're not through. But God's, God's word will confirm his grace if we will repent. So remember, the word of the Lord came to the people from Haggai and Zechariah. So let's turn to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1. Hallelujah. Now let me say this about Zechariah, right? While Haggai confronted the sin of the people... Zechariah was the one who gave him hope. He was, he's the one that helped him remember that God keeps his covenant promises. That God is going to send them aside to him. He's the one who encouraged him as well. Because let me tell you, encouragement comes in the form of reproof and, and, and the encouraging words that, that Zechariah is going to do. Now don't get me wrong. Zechariah does give him a little reproof at first. And let, let me tell you a little bit about Zechariah. Actually, let me read the first verse and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Zechariah 1. So it says, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, look at that. You see how they connect the time right there? But this is two months later. So in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. I love how it was two months later, too. I'm sorry, I, I just can't stop because God just told me this, right? I love how it was two months later because that means not only did they start when they heard the word from Haggai, but they continued and continued to get encouraged and continued building. This is two months later. Remember, in Haggai it said in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius. Now here we are in the eighth month. In the second year of Darius. And they're still building. And then guess what? The word of the Lord has not stopped coming. <laughs> in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying. Now I'm going to stop here and I'm going to end with this because I don't want to even get started and get into this. But I want to tell you a few things about Zechariah, which will set him up. Because God, God is an awesome God. Zechariah means whom the Lord remembers. His father, and I don't, I don't take it by happenstance that his father and grandfather were mentioned in this first verse. His father's name, Berechiah, means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather, Edo, means at the appointed time. 
So those three names together sum up the message of Zechariah to the people. Whom the Lord remembers, he blesses at the appointed time. Now we're going to stop right there, because that's an encouraging word to keep them building. We're going to stop right there. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water in Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.